0: Is the gold sector underbought or overbought? Are people making the correct investment choices today? And most importantly, is gold still a safe haven asset? These are the main themes we'll be discussing with none other than Rick Rule of Spot US. Rick, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. I do enjoy a conversation, so welcome back to Kitco. Thank you for having me back. And it sounds like a great topic lineup. The uh, uh, you and I have spoken several times before. I know you like to talk about the um, the the great service that you offer to viewers and subscribers to Sprout, which is uh, portfolio review. Uh, you usually talk about this at the end. i like to bring this forward to our conversation, to the start of the conversation today, and sort of discuss what you've been noticing in terms of investment trends from the hundreds, if not thousands, of submissions you've received over the last year. What trends have you been noticing in terms of what people have liked to invest in, what they don't like? Can you comment on this? Thank you for the
1: opportunity to discuss that. Uh, I'd like to preface it by uh, sort of causing your listeners to understand the offer, uh, which is that we will, on a no-obligations basis, review uh, listeners and subscribers' natural resource portfolios. Uh, to do that, you simply go to a website, uh, sprotusa.com forward slash rankings, and enter the names and symbols of your natural resource portfolios. Please no cannabis stocks, please no banks, please no businesses that we don't understand. I will personally rank those, one to 10, one being best, 10 being worst, and enclose a couple of stock charts that we'll talk about later in this interview, Uh, on a no obligations basis. I'll also comment on individual issues where I think my comments uh, might have value. So framing that, uh, we've done almost 20,000 portfolio reviews since the inception of this project. And I think it's fair to say that we've taught people a lot. Uh, The easiest way to teach somebody a lesson is to make it relevant to them. And there are very few topics more relevant to people than their own fortunes. So by ranking people's portfolios, of course, uh, we get their attention immediately. It's worthwhile to note that my rankings are quite harsh. Uh, One, uh, which is my top ranking, is a ranking that I've awarded only nine times in 35 years. (laughs) I've been so much more generous with my tens, uh, which are absolute shorts. Um, Some of the lessons I've learned, I think, uh, particularly when I combine the rankings with looking at the questions that people ask on the rankings form, uh, it is that many people's uh, goals and techniques are disconnected, uh, which is to say that many people's understanding of how to construct an equities portfolio is inconsistent with the goals that they express. Uh, a second thing that I've learned is that by and large, people are too speculative uh, and and they have too high a time preference, which is to say, in my experience, and I can document this with the Barron's Gold Mining Stock Index, my favorite gold equities chart, gold bull markets, precious metals bull markets, uh, are of much longer duration than most people realize. They're afraid if they're six months late that they are terminally late when actually gold bull markets tend to be of 10 year duration. And they're also of much greater dimension. Uh, The last one, 2000 to 2011, uh, saw a six fold increase in gold and more like a 12 fold increase in the gold equities. The consequence of that is that taking undue portfolio risk and speculative issues uh, and exposing yourself to company failure means that most people would be better served having 60 or 70% of their gold equities portfolio in very high quality gold stocks. So they just capture the market move with less risk of company failure. The third thing that I have found with regards to speculative portfolios is that most speculators own way too many stocks. Mm -hmm. I believe that the number of shares that a person should have in their portfolio <clears throat> should correspond to the number of hours per month that the speculator is willing to work understanding the portfolio. And by work, I mean, read the annual reports, read the proxies, read the 43-101s. Uh, I- I've seen many portfolios where speculators owned 45 or 50 stocks uh, and didn't remember on questioning why they owned them, what it was that attracted the, uh, to them what sort of internal price target one they had and what sort of timeframes they had in mind. Uh, And this is very damaging indeed. If I had a fourth criticism, it would be that speculators are too narrative oriented. Uh, Narrative being probably the easiest thing to assimilate emotionally uh, and, and less willing to pay attention to technical and financial data. So those would be the four conclusions Mm -hmm. that we have learned. Uh, We have also learned, however, that people are very, very responsible to rankings. Yeah, okay. And very responsive to our uh, answers to their questions, uh, which has been in fact heartening. People take um, both praise uh, and constructive criticism better than I would have believed. I've always believed that communication is an affirmative process. And if one attracts the questioner's core value too hard, quote, one loses uh, the listener. Turns out that's not true.
0: Uh, one of the comments on our last video, uh, I read through all the comments, by the way, but one of the comments was, I would love to see an entire program with Rick just talking about the mistakes that people make. And you've addressed these mistakes just now, the four uh, commonly, uh, uh, commonly held mistakes. Uh, I wonder, Rick, how somebody in a, a, a retail investor can overcome these mistakes Specifically, in regards to having too many stocks in their portfolio, I think you and I briefly discussed this last time, the issue is people don't know how to pick stocks, and so they diversify as a form of safety. Uh, Is this the correct, incorrect approach? How should they overcome
1: this? Well, in fact, I do believe uh, that it's possible for uh, amateur investors that work hard to uh, compete with professional investors. Uh, Professional investors often have a quarter by quarter focus, uh, and the mining business doesn't operate on a quarterly basis. The fact that an individual investor can have an 18-month time frame competing with a professional who has a 90-day time frame immediately assigns an advantage to the amateur investor. And information is more broadly available now than it's ever been, Uh, Kitco to be sure, but other sources too. The truth is that I can get as much information online. And by the way, I'm a 67-year-old ludite, not too competent online. But I can get as much information online in three hours as I used to be able to to, uh, obtain through six or seven weeks of trying to obtain printed information from, say, the Ontario Securities Commission or companies. Uh, What one really needs to do is limit one's exposure to stocks uh, to uh, a number concurrent with the number of hours per month that somebody is willing to work. If they're willing to work 10 hours a month, really work 10 hours a month, then 10 stocks is plenty, absolutely plenty. It's important too, David, I think to understand that in the uh, junior public stocks, there's probably 2000 companies that at least purport to be in the mining or minerals exploration worldwide that are public. There's probably only two or 300 that have any value whatsoever. So the most important thing that you can do as a speculator looking at a stock that you don't own is find the really obvious reason not to own it so that you don't have to waste any time on it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you understand that there are 300 real opportunities in a 2000 company universe, the most important initial exercise that you can do is the screening exercise, which throws companies away so that you don't have to waste time on them. Yeah. People are afraid of missing opportunity when they should be afraid of accepting risk. I think the uh, the issue of
0: information that you brought up is a double-edged sword. Yes, we do have more information available at our fingertips, but now we have almost too much information. The, the issue now is narrowing down what to look for in a very limited given amount of time. And so, you know, can you can you just very, very briefly point us in the right direction here, if you like?
1: Well, I would suggest, I mean, yes, the answer is I can briefly, but I would suggest to a later date that we delve into this extensively because sure. this is probably an hour long discussion. Sure. What I have found with regards to junior resource stocks in particular is that the most important factor is people. Uh, there are some management teams and some individuals that have been serially successful and many more that have been serial fail- failures. But in bull markets, the investors don't seem to segregate between the born losers and the born winners. Uh, and hanging out with the, board winner, the born winners uh, is really the first thing you do. In fact, David, looking back at my own career over 45 years, focusing on my mistakes rather than other people's mistakes, had I merely concentrated on the 10 or 15 management teams that I had had the best success with up to the age 35, I'm 67 now, so that's 30 something years ago, uh, I would have done half as much work and made twice as much money. Uh, if I had just hung out with the Ross Beatys, the Bob Quartermains, the Robert Friedlands, the Lucas Lundines, all of whom I'd done business with, by the time I was 35 and not bothered with the rest of the universe, I would have worked less hard and made more money. So the first thing is the prior track record of success of the management teams and whether or not that success was specifically related to the task. at hand. But investors must be contrarian or they will be a victim. You need to buy something, not when the price action is justifying the narrative but rather when everybody is either bored of something Or hates something. You must be forward thinking. Think about this. If the price of the stock has doubled in six months, but nothing of underlying uh, fundamental value has changed, the stock is precisely arithmetically half as attractive. But the fact that it's up 100% means more people are attracted to it. If you think about buying other kinds of goods, like say your suit, Uh, if you went to a store and saw that suit selling for twice the price that you had paid for it six months ago, you'd be furious. If you went to buy buy it and saw it selling for half the price, you would be delighted. But people aren't as smart when they buy stocks as when they buy suits. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's important to buy these things when they're out of favor, when they're on scale. The third thing I would suggest is that scale is important. If you're going to take risk. Don't take risk for small rewards. In gold equivalent terms, if the target size or the target or the resource, whatever the number is, uh, doesn't exceed a million gold equivalent ounces, uh, which is to say there isn't sort of a billion eight in in situ value, where I don't believe that the deposit could be produced at 100,000 ounces a year or more, which is to say $180 million in gross revenues a year or more, I don't care. Uh, there is uh, as much risk in a small mine as a big mine, but a small mine can never make you big money. And the idea of negative uh, asynchrony, which is to say taking big risks for small money is not attractive. Taking big risks for big money is somewhat more attractive. So I I would say, look at those things. Also, uh, adjust your time preference to the task at hand. If you buy a small speculative stock because you believe that the drilling campaign that's underway will change the market's understanding of the deposit and hence increase the value of your shareholdings, understand how long it will take for that drill campaign to add value. Let's say as an example that the uh, company under question is drilling a deposit in Northwestern BC in the golden triangle where the drilling season is short. You might reasonably suspect that it will take two drilling seasons to answer the unanswered question. In other words, you will need to own that stock for 18 months. If you have a three-month time horizon owning a stock where 18 months is required to get the answer that changes the value, it's your time horizon that's the problem, not the company's thesis. So understanding the necessary time horizon I think is very important for people too.
0: Uh, the one thing you were telling me offline is that uh, there is now sufficient data to analyze certain trends in investor behavior. Could you comment on some of these trends in particular, regarding uh, age, maybe occupation, uh, you know, uh, back, backgrounds? Uh, you know, what, what are some interesting trends that you've noticed that you could share?
1: Well, the first thing with regards to this, and you'll have a laugh at my expense, uh, is that we at Sprott uh, were trying to figure out for seven or eight years how we could reach younger uh, and millennial investors. Well, what we did is we began to make ourselves ubiquitously available online Mm -hmm. and the young investors found us by the thousands. Uh, So when people say, when will the millennial investor be attracted to precious metals and precious metals equities? The answer is not in the future. Uh, In fact, it's in the past. Uh, Thousands of millennial investors Sophisticated investors, by the way, or at least sophisticated speculators, uh, have already found us. So the answer to that is they're here. The second thing that we're beginning to see is the presence of female investors and speculators, which is something that's never happened in my career. The truth is that the gold bug, uh, pardon the racial stereotyping, but the gold bug going back 30 years, all looked like me, old, bald, fat, white guys you know, grumpy old white guys, Uh, and that's all changed. Uh, A bunch of inquiries are coming uh, now from women, including younger women, which is probably the biggest change that I've noticed. The other thing that one notices is that interest in precious metals is beginning to correspond demographically uh, with data coming with regards to success by ethnicity, economic success by ethnicity in North America. This shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, Cultures that have an emphasis on savings and on education tend to do better in at least the economic aspects of society. And uh, whether or not there are cultural biases in those same group in favor of precious metals or not, is a different question. But what we see is an incredible amount of interest in North America and internationally by the East Asian diaspora, uh, by the South Asian diaspora, uh, and by the Lebanese and Palestinian diaspora. Three uh, socio-ethnic groups that tend to punch way, way, way above their weight In the broad economy at any rate. It's interesting, particularly with regards to the South Asian diaspora in the United States, Mm -hmm. which are really almost uh, statistically insignificant, except in their individual demographic um, achievement relative to the broader population. The extraordinary level of interest among the South Asian diaspora in the United States with regards to precious metals is the one thing that really stands out. I would suspect that in the United States of the responses that we have received in the last year, 12 to 15% are from people with South Asian or Middle Eastern ancestry, where I suspect that their percentage of the general population is more like one to one and a half percent. Yeah. So I would find that to be very interesting in terms of broad trend.